0: All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, thankful to be able to worship with you this morning and to share God's word. Uh, if you are new or if you're visiting and I see a couple of new faces, uh, my name is Sam. I'm part of the pastoral staff here and obviously we want to welcome you. Uh, as Pastor Tom mentioned, I want to reiterate, anyone who has any desire to know just what it means to be more connected as a member of our church, I would say it is a class, but also it's kind of more like an info session. It won't be too long. Our hope is to get you out of there uh, before one. So at 12.30, just grab a snack, and then please just right outside these doors, if you take a left, that will be our, where our children's ministry meets. That's going to be the room we're meeting in, and we love to answer any questions, whether it's about our church, whether it's about our membership, both myself and... Pastor Tom will be there, so it's a little more of an intimate setting, particularly if you're new or visiting, if you want to get any questions answered or just know a little bit more about our church, that would be the best, I think, next step for you. So highly, highly encourage you to come, and again, no commitment. It doesn't mean that you're therefore now married to this church by any means. You can literally attend, and that can be it, and so I uh, encourage you to join there. Now, if you're just joining, uh, we've been going through a series starting two weeks ago titled The Family of God. And if it's your first time joining or you've forgotten, just to review two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tom, he kind of kicked off our series and he opened up through Mark 3 how Jesus does something very radical, which is he redefines what a lot of us hold near and dear to hearts, which is family, right? The normal boundaries that in our day and age that kind of create and define family are usually biological. They're usually, they're blood related. But Jesus says, no, 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 not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, family for the Christian is any brother or sister who seeks to obey God's will and follow God, aka other Christians. Very radical statement. And last week we saw this isn't just something that the church would say in concept, but starting from the early church in Acts 2, they didn't just believe this, they actually sought to live it out in their habits, and their practices, right? Every day they broke bread together, they met together, they really sought to be a family. And so that's why even from those two weeks alone and those two texts alone, it is actually not a stretch to biblically proclaim that loaded statement that, you know, church is family, not only in belief, but also in practice. Now, that language, though, and the image of that, it's... uh, It's one you will see throughout the New Testament. Apostle Paul likes to call the church family. I think one slight issue, though, is uh, we all have vastly different experiences of family. For some people, when I say family, it conjures up feelings of fondness and joy. And others of you, when I say family, it's nothing but uh, brokenness and bitterness. And when I say family, for some of you, church is family, you think, oh, yeah, we're going to be so close. Other people, you think, well, I hate my family, so I guess I hate the church people. So today, actually, I want to kind of... Talk about another powerful metaphor and analogy that the Apostle Paul uses. It's not only like a family, but the level of uh, intimacy and connection that we are to have as Christians. It's also kind of like a a body. Being like members of a physical body. That's the type of connection we are to have. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It will also be projected behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be reading from verse 12 through 26. And then we'll get into the message. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 12, we'll read through verse 26. This is the reading of God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For The body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Because as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, yet one body, verse 21, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacks it, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Amen. This is the reading of God's. Word. So growing up, one of my greatest regrets in elementary school was uh, I have a track record of picking the wrong sports and the wrong things to invest my time and energy in. I think I've shared this before, but one of the things that uh, a lot of elementary students needed to decide was are you going to be a skateboarder or a rollerblader? I chose rollerblading, and nobody cares about rollerblading anymore. It's not cool. Whereas, like, our director, brother Shim, he's into skateboarding. That's still cool, right? You could do, like, an ollie, a kickflip. There's, like, a whole fashion culture behind it. Nobody thinks it's cool that I can rollerblade. No one's like, wow, Pastor Sam, that's really amazing. Not only that, little known fact, my sister and I went deep. Not only did we rollerblade, we roller skated. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but we paid money to take roller skating classes Uh, It's kind of like, I don't know if you ever watched the Blades of Glory movie, but that's kind of what we were into. I learned how to do a half axle. Nobody even knows what that is. And I paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy roller skates. And totally waste of time. (laughs) Nobody cares. The biggest regret I have, though, was I spent most of my elementary career perfecting the craft of not a a sport that anybody cares about today, which is handball. I talk about this all the time, right? I was the self-proclaimed handball champion of my elementary school. And the dreaded day came in fifth grade when suddenly my friends and my handball comrades abandoned me for the basketball, right? For some reason, they thought handball's not cool. There's no future in this sport. Let's go to basketball. You don't see uh, national handball leagues, right? There's no professional handball players. And so what ended up happening was I held on to the very end. And as a result of that, I entered basketball fairly late. All my friends were... Learning about it, picking it up, and I, you know, was in the handball court, like, I'm going to stick it through. And I was like, finally the day came, I was like, I need to just learn basketball. So what ended up happening was, naturally, I was one of the worst. Because the skills don't translate at all. And so during recess, literally there was a time where we'd pick team captains amongst our friends. We'd all line up, just like the movies, and they would rock papers and take turns picking, right? It's a brutal process. Because more often than not, a lot of the time I would actually, and I'm not bitter, I promise. Right? I'm like 32 now, so I'm over it finally, by the grace of God. But literally, I'd be one of the last ones picked. In fact, one of the times I overheard the captain saying, you know what, you could just have Sam, right? Like, I give him as a gift to you. We don't even need him on the team. So all that being said, the only time I would touch the ball was when it would go out of bounds. And they'd be like, Sam, go get it. So i like run, go get it. And then like, they wouldn't even let me inbound it. They're like, give us the ball, right? So as a young elementary kid, I actually had a lot of time to like reflect and process on the basketball court (laughs) because I wasn't actually playing. And looking back, I can kind of actually put into words what I felt back then which I think a lot of you may have felt or do feel in various contexts which is, huh, I don't think I belong here. You guys ever feel that before? I don't think I quite belong or at the very least, I don't really have a meaningful role or purpose in this group or body. I'm like a pity pick, or I'm like a placeholder, right? Now, that sense of belonging and purpose, I think those are two sides of the same coin that every human is hardwired to desire. And in this series, I think for the Christian, the ideal kind of elementary answer is, well, the church is supposed to be the answer to that, right? Look at Mark 3 and Acts 2. The church is the family. The church is where you're going to find the answer to your longing to belong. The church is where you're going to find the love and the care, where we look out for each other. But here's the problem. Attend any church for a couple of weeks, you're going to end up feeling maybe a lot more like uh, elementary last pick Sam than you do as a meaningful belonging member of the body of Christ. That's the church context that the Apostle Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians 12. Now the specific issue the Corinthians were dealing with was they were divided over all kinds of different things. They were divided over spiritual gifts. They were divided over their social class. They were divided over their race. But if I can just use a very umbrella, broad equivalent that we can all relate to, the church was clicky. The church was exclusive. That has plagued the church throughout centuries. And I think we can all relate to that. So the question then is well, how do we grow if we are supposed to be the family of God to truly relate to one another in a meaningful way? But more importantly, What rationale does the Bible give for us to even care to do this? To care to go beyond our comfort zones and our cliques and to now want to extend ourselves to actually love the family of God. And so there's three reasons we'll look at in the text that Paul gives. The three reasons are these. Number one, we should care because as Christians we all have a new identity in Christ. Number two, we all sovereignly belong to God's family. And number three... We all need one another, all from the text. So number one, why we all have a new identity in Christ. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of throwback references. So if you're uh, from the newer generation or Gen Z, here's a little history lesson. But one of my favorite actors growing up was Mark Wahlberg. He's a little bit older now. But one of the favorite movies that came out from his that I liked in 2005 was called Four Brothers. The reason that movie is memorable for me is because it was one of the first times as a movie lover that I was exposed to a plot that kind of, fundamentally revolved around a family that was not a biological family. Now, if you hadn't watched it, basically it's called Four Brothers because there's four adopted sons, and they're all adopted by this woman named Evelyn Mercer. And these brothers, they could not be more different on paper, right? One's a criminal, one's a U.S. Marine, one is a rock musician, and one's just like a domestic family man. So socially, they are all over the place. Not only that, they're not the same ethnicity. Two of them are white, two of them are black. And yet these brothers, they come together as family and care and love one another and are united. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh, that's fascinating. Because it's clearly not because they're blood-related or biological. So what makes them family is the fact that, and even at an early age, I picked up on this, is because their mom, Evelyn Mercer, had a heart to love and adopt them. That's what brought them into family, and this is evidenced by the fact that despite their differing backgrounds, their differing personalities, their different experiences, legally on paper, their names are Bobby Mercer, Angel Mercer, Jeremiah Mercer, and Jack Mercer. And what that basically shows is whatever life they had before, whatever identity that they carried before, it was all made new and covered and made new by the love of their adoptive mom, who now gives them a new name. New identity. And I share this because in a similar way, I think the Apostle Paul, he's saying the Christian church is kind of like the Mercer family. The most accurate way to describe the nature of our relationship to God and one another is quite simply, we were all orphans. That's the honest reality. We're all orphans. Because no one is naturally born into the family of God according to scripture. Because why? As Romans says, we are all separated by sin. So what ends up happening is we're not naturally part of God's family. The best way is we are all adopted children. Orphans who have been adopted by the gracious love of God who adopted and brought us into his family. And in the same way, Paul looks at the Corinthian church, who is so different on paper. The Corinthian church was composed of two polar opposite religious groups, the Jews and the Greeks. Two polar opposite socioeconomic groups, slaves and free. And his exhortation is not merely, hey, guys, you're Christian now, so get along. And I think that's where sometimes the Christian faith is so shallow because we settle with just, hey, be a good Christian or just love one another. That doesn't work, you know, why? because that's not convincing. It is not a strong enough rationale for you to actually take the work to want to transform. He doesn't just say, let's just all get along now. He gives a very robust theological reason. For them to resist the urge to be divided. Look what he says in verse 12. He gives this beautiful metaphor and analogy. And I love metaphors of a body. He says, hey guys, the body, it's, it's one and has many members. But even though there's many members, it's still united in one. And so it is with Christ. For whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free, all were baptized into one body, a.k.a. all were adopted and made new in Christ. And so he says... All your previous means of connection, identity, whether by race, social class, ethnicity, or even more shallow things like you were popular back in high school or you were unpopular. Whatever horizontal dividing line you can think of, in Christ, those are irrelevant. Irrelevant. And he says, though we are different, we are all one body and united in Christ. We have an altogether new identity that now forges a deeply theological, profound and spirit-empowered connection as the family of God. Now, obviously, in our church context, uh, the dividing lines are not as straightforward because you look around, we're predominantly Asian American, and slavery doesn't exist anymore, right? But I argue there still definitely are dividing lines in the family of God. And I would actually say their subtle nature makes it even more dangerous because you think it's not a big deal. Now, how do you know what these dividing lines are? Because I don't think it's the same for everyone. Here's a quick diagnostic question for you if you have been the part of the body in any any sort of capacity to help you assess what they might be for you. Simple question. What is it about a person that inclines you to want to either go closer to them or avoid them socially speaking? Just answer that for yourself and you'll find your dividing lines. Let me list a few I can think of when I think about our church. For some of us, I think we draw subtle communal lines based on common interest. If a person likes what you like, If they talk about what you like to talk about, the line is removed. You include them in your circle. But if they're different, you draw a line. For others of us, it can even be age or life stage. Maybe if you're a younger college student, welcome college students, maybe you have no interest in connecting with older people because they're boomers. They don't know what TikTok is. You have nothing to talk about with them. You have no inclination or desire. Or vice versa, old people feel the opposite way. You don't care about TikTok, (laughs) you don't care about talking to younger people, you think they're naive and you can't relate, so why even build a relationship? Or for some of us, which is just so true of just suburban, middle class, comfortable people, you just love comfort, that is your dividing line. Anything that remotely causes you to step outside of the very famously known comfort zone, whether it's meeting new people or different people, you prefer to just stay with your tenured group that you meet with all the time. Now, here's the thing with these dividing lines. If you end up landing inside of one of those nicely formed cliques, you're fine. You're fine. But not only is this social survival of the fittest mentality totally not Christ-like, a.k.a. you cease to be the church when you think that way, what about those whose lines are drawn around them? You ever think about that? Right, We worship a Savior and a God who says, I don't care about 99, I care about one. I don't care that 99 of you are all comfortable in comfortable. Commun- I care about the one person who's not. And so the eyes of our head of the body is fixated on that person. So what about that last pick person who perpetually feels like they don't belong and they don't have a purpose in the body of Christ because the lines are regularly drawn around them? As I mentioned earlier in the case of the Corinthian church, What was these dividing lines? It was spiritual gifts. There were some people in the church who had more showy and impressive spiritual gifts. So using modern-day equivalent, maybe they were the praise leaders of the church. Maybe they were the ones who were teaching. Maybe they were the preaching or the teachers and the ones that are just more in the front lines. And what would happen, right, and I love AV, but maybe the AV people are in the back thinking, wow, I work harder, I'm here longer than any of those people. I get no love. Maybe it caused a comparison hierarchical game. And so that led to a feeling of inferiority and a sense of a lack of belonging for some people, which leads to the next point that Paul had to make, which is we all sovereignly belong to God's family. Paul addresses these people, and maybe some of you guys feel this way, that if you don't feel like you belong in the body of Christ or you feel inferior for whatever reason, Again, I love metaphors, so please stick with me because this one might be cheesy, but I promise it's going somewhere. Again, throwback, one of my earliest pictures of the idea of parts coming together to form a a larger whole was none other than the great show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Okay? Amazing, amazing show. Back in the 90s. If you didn't watch it, there's no way I could explain it. It would take a whole sermon series to you. But basically, there's five Power Rangers, (laughs) and they each control a dinosaur. Uh, This is getting somewhere, okay? And so these dinosaurs are basically, they're robots that they would fight and defeat enemies. But when there'd be an especially powerful enemy, where they can't take it on their own, these dinosaurs would combine to create a megazord, which is a combination of all these dinosaurs. And there's this iconic sequence that would happen in every episode where they would summon the dinosaurs together. And I remember thinking, this is so cool because it forms this larger body, this megazord where they're all working together. And it's like, amazing. Until I started to think and I realized, you know, every kid only wants to be a certain ranger. And if you watch it, you know, everyone wants to be the red ranger. Why? Because he has the most powerful dinosaur. In the Megazord body, they're blatant about it. He occupies the head and the torso. Talk about like you are the most important part of the body. In fact, I spent, I kid you not, 20 minutes looking up the details of each ranger, each dinosaur to make sure I know my stuff. The Red Ranger's description was long. It's like blatant. The Red Ranger's dinosaur is the mightiest, it is the most powerful. And the description reads it, it can fire energy blasts from its eyes. It could roar so strongly that it creates seismic blasts. I'm like, wow. You know which ranger got no love? The yellow ranger. <laughs> I don't recall any kid ever dressing up as the yellow ranger. You know which part of the body the yellow ranger was in the megazord? Not the head, not the the right leg. It's like, all right, let's combine. All parts combine. All right, I'm a leg. So the red ranger is just killing it up there. And you're just like, move forward, move backward, move forward, move backward. Not even both legs, just one leg. And you know what the yellow sword's description is? This sword was really fast. That's it. That's your power. You're just really fast. Now imagine, extended metaphor, imagine you're the yellow ranger, right? And you're going into battle for like the hundredth time, and you're kind of looking up at the red ranger, just killing it. Just killing it, Right? The highlight reel is like amazing for that. And your highlight reel is like this, right? It's just like, wow, great step, great step. And you're down here and, you know, none of the praise, none of the love comes to you. And wouldn't you start to feel like, oh, wow, like, am I like, like needed? Like what role do I even play? Do I even belong in this body? That's the picture of what was happening in the church. There were people who were feeling they didn't belong. Because they didn't fit that Red Ranger mold or have the gifts that these other people had. And so the temptation for them was, I'll just check out. I'll just detach altogether. What's the point? No one's going to care. To those people, Paul says in verse 14, look. Look. The body does not consist of just one member but of many and he gives this beautiful illustration. He says if the foot should say because I'm not a part of the hand or because I'm not a hand I don't belong to the body that would not make any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because I'm not an eye I don't belong that does not make any less a part of the body. Now, obviously feet don't talk. Okay? If your feet talk something's wrong. That's not okay. This is an illustration, but I'm going to go hard on this illustration. He's using a very simple illustration to say No matter how the feet or the ears feel about being a part of the body, they are an objective part of the body. Now, obviously, that's an easy takeaway, but let me talk about a little deeper thing going on in this illustration. The very notion that the foot feels like it needs to be a hand to belong is problematic, isn't it? Where did that even come from? Because what is the foot essentially saying? The foot is saying to truly belong... I have to be like the hand. I have to do what a hand can do. But I am not a hand. Therefore, I do not belong. Where did that come from? Who told the foot that? Who ever told the foot that you have to be something you're not? It's not God. Now, what might this look like practically in our context? It could be something as simple as Pastor Tom mentioned. Personality. Maybe God in his infinite wisdom wired you to be more low-key. To be more introverted. Maybe your natural gift is behind-the-scenes service or, or picking up trash. And you look at the community and you see those loud, sociable extroverts in the forefront and you think, well, that's never going to be me, so I guess I just don't belong here. Well, Paul not only gives this very logical argument that a foot, regardless of how it feels, is part of the body, but he gives a much deeper theological one that I hope we can really wrestle with because it's in the Word of God. Look at verse 17 to 18. He says, well, first and foremost, if the whole body were an eye... There would be no hearing if the whole body were an ear. There would be no smell, a.k.a. If everyone is the Red Ranger, you don't have a body. You just have a torso. That's not a healthy body. But more importantly, as it is in verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He switches it up and he gives a deeper theological truth for us to wrestle with as members of the body. Quick semi-related note that I really prayed for on behalf of a lot of our church people. Do you know how many internal struggles would be resolved if by faith you would fight to believe and trust that you are who you are and you are where you are, not by accident, but by the purposes of God? Do you realize how much discontentment and bitterness would dissipate if by faith you trusted and believed that? Because that's what God's saying. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. Uh, I know, like, it was very timely, like, our AV ministry, kind of the joke is, like, oh, that's the one time you're going to see them. They're always in the back, and we all kind of kind of laugh about it a lot of the times, right? But if I were to be honest, I hope that doesn't make them feel like a yellow ranger ministry, because I'm sure sometimes it does, right? Or do any of you resonate with that in the text? I mean, again, I'm not calling you a foot, but maybe you feel like a foot sometimes, Looking up at the hand, looking up at the red of the body and saying, well, that's not me and I guess I don't belong. Here is a comforting but also sobering reminder of truth from God's word for you today. Regardless of what situation you are in, first is this, God has not called you nor will he ever call you to be who you're not. Let that sink in. So liberating. Second, God has not called you nor will he ever call you to be where you're not. Whether physically, socially, economically, let that sink in. Particularly in the church and the family of Christ, God has intentionally, uniquely placed and gifted you. Notice the language is not just, oh, he just kind of scatters. Each one is intentionally gifted and arranged. And the more we strive as members of the body to embrace and step into that... Rather than living in perpetual comparison and discontentment or the fact that I'm not like this or I'm not like that or I'm not here or I'm not there, the more the peace of God will reign in your heart. God has arranged every single member in the body, each one of this. Now, to use a musical analogy, right? God is the composer. God is the arranger because I was part of band as well. So this kind of rings the bell for me. Imagine God is here and he's like, I'm going to create a band. I'm going to create an orchestra. And he's assigning all these roles, assigning all these instruments. And you're sitting there and God looks at you. He's like, I have the perfect thing for you. And he takes out the triangle and he says, you hold this thing and here's your role. You sit patiently and you count 100 bars while everyone else plays. And at the end, you just kill that triangle. You hit it like you've never hit it before. And you better hit it on time. And it gives you purpose, gives you meaning. How would you feel? I think what the Bible is saying is if that's how God arranges you, that is the best, the most, God-glorifying part for you to play. And when you play it well, the body functions how God wants it to. Here's what a lot of us do. I ain't the first violin. I ain't the first trumpet. The heck is a triangle? Nobody's even going to care. And people might not notice, but you know who does notice? The composer. God notices. Because he's not playing the way he wants it to. So we are connected not only by our new identity, but we are sovereignly, uniquely placed in the body of God, of Christ. And that brings us to the last point which is, I think, potentially the most important. As the body, as the family, we need one another. Now, in the text, Paul, he begins to wrap up his metaphor. And I wish I could go into details, but basically, long story short, he starts to get talking about how God has composed the body in a very unique way that the seemingly weak and insignificant parts are honored and dignified. And that would just take too long to explain. If you have questions, ask me after. But I want to zero in on the last two verses of verse 25 and 26 because that is actually the summary and the purpose of what Paul has been trying to get along all this time when it comes to the body. And here's what it says: He says, All of this that I'm saying, it is so that, first of all, there's no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. And verse 26 has been etched in my mind. I hope it is in yours too. If one member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. Paul is basically saying the ultimate message I'm giving you with this metaphor is that as members of the body of Christ, and in the same way that literal members of the body do, we ought to care for one another in the way that the body cares for itself. Now, let me flesh this out. I am convinced, and this happens a lot more after my son Ezra was born, because as I'm carrying him, I don't have good visibility on the ground, and he has all kinds of stuff on the ground, so maybe parents could relate. I'm convinced one of the most underrated pains you can experience in life is when you stub your toe. It is a great, great pain. And so recently, I was cleaning some stuff in the house, and I stubbed my toe against like a really, really sharp corner of a cabinet in my house, and so it was very painful. Now, the interesting thing was, as I was preparing and I thought about it, I was like, wow, it's funny, because after I stubbed my toe, uh, I was on the floor. (laughs) Both hands were grabbing my foot. My face was grimacing in pain. My mouth was clenched, and I remember thinking, Oh, interesting. My whole body kind of reacting to this toe pain. Now, why is every other member of my body reacting, right? When it's just my right toe that got stubbed? Very, very simple question. Well, let me give you an alternative picture then if you follow that logic. How strange would it be if I stub my right toe and then only my right toe is shaking in pain? But every other part of my body is like just chilling, right? I'm just like making coffee and it's just like, ah, right? But everything else is like, I'm just like sermon prepping, doing my thing, and my toe is just like agonizing in pain. And if the members of my body could talk, they don't talk, but if they did, imagine if my hand like looks down at my foot. It's like, ooh, like that sucks. Hope you feel better, toe. Or if my ear looked down, it's like, well, that's like, that's not my business. I'm not in pain. So hope you are okay. I'm intentionally talking weird here, right? Because that's a weird picture. That's not normal. That's not how a normal, healthy body functions. Because when the foot is in pain, the whole body is in pain. If you, get a, if you get the smallest of paper cuts, your body feels it. And yet, that strange, abnormal picture, doesn't it so accurately describe how we function as the body of Christ a lot of times? It should tell us something that of all the ways that Paul could have said regarding the sign and representation of a healthy body, he says the, the way, the one way according to this text that you know a church body is healthy and functioning the way it's supposed to is not by its programs, it's not by how it looks on the outside, it's not by its size or how flashy it is, but based off this simple diagnostic question, are the members of the body caring for one another? That's it. Are they caring for one another? And it gets more specific. What does it mean to care? Are they sharing in one another's sufferings and joys? That's it. And I want to emphasize this because I think if you go a little deeper, I think it's hard for us to meaningfully practice this, especially as a predominantly Asian American congregation. Why? Whether we like it or not, we were raised in and we drank the Kool-Aid of a very strong honor-shame culture where it's all about putting on a good face. That's why in our context, the most common response you'll receive from someone, if you ask them, do you need anything, is nope. I don't need anything. I'm good. Or if you ask them, how are you doing, nine out of ten times, they'll say, I'm good. And I say knee-jerk response because it's divorced from reality. They're saying that because of the Kool-Aid they've drinking, which is, don't ever come across as needy. Don't ever be someone who needs help. Being seen as someone who is needy, it's like a phobia for Asians. Why? Because we toil our whole life trying to give off the impression that our lives are put together. Is that not the case? Church, the Bible makes it crystal clear. And your own life, whether you're Christian or not, will make it crystal clear if it hasn't already. A life devoid of pain and peaks and valleys is not real life. It's not reality. And in the same way that a physical body will go through... Peaks, valleys, injuries, hardship, and pain. Members of the church body will as well. And for our church, if you've been a member even through 2020, COVID has shown you that is 100% true. And a healthy body cares for one another in those moments. Now, let me get super practical with this because I think it's really important for our church. First, I want to address those who are on one end of the spectrum where you are afraid to share the honest truths about the pains you might be going through, Okay. Now, there are many layers to this. So please understand, I'm taking a very general broad stroke. I think there's a lot of variables when it comes to wisdom and vulnerability and sharing and stuff like that. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very broad stroke here. But here it is. To perpetually remain guarded from the church body when it comes to sharing how you're really doing. I actually think it's a subtle way of practicing the belief that you do not need other Christians. You don't need other people. For example... If you've been involved in any amount of community in the church body for over a year, and every time you share, it's always, I'm good, I don't need anything, nothing new to report. I would argue there is something off. You're living as a functionally detached member of the body. And the encouragement I want to give, if that's you, is realize God has placed you and gifted you into the body because the body of Christ, number one, needs you. And you need it, especially in those times of pain and hardship. So I think there's so many people who are short-circuiting the grace of God through the body of Christ because you are functionally detaching yourself. And the irony is, but you are not detached, according to Scripture. But secondly, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. I want to address those people who it's not so hard to share, but you have a hard time caring. Not sharing, but caring. It's disheartening to hear as a pastor more times than I like to report. How many people, when I encourage them, hey, why don't you just share vulnerably with your community? That's what the body of Christ is before. And here's what they'll say I've done that, I did that, and it is absolutely more painful. Because you guys all know sharing, like I think our church, if level 10 is absolutely vulnerable and level zero is shallow, we hover at the one through three. That's like our comfort zone. When you go four, five, six, seven, and eight in a culture like that, it is scary. You're kind of putting yourself out there. And when I talk to these people, they'll say, I do that. And it is often met with little to no meaningful care and follow-up. Why would I continue to do that? Now, what, what might this look like? Okay, going back to the body analogy that I'm overusing. Like, if your toe is bleeding, and it's lived its whole life trying to pretend it's fine, and one day it musters up the courage and it says, body, I'm bleeding. And it hurts a lot. As you can see, I am bleeding. What would you say or do if you're a member of that body? Here's what I think a lot of us do. So imagine you're the thumb. You think, well, first, oh man, the toe is talking like four to six level now. I'm a little uncomfortable. This is stuff I'm not used to. So here's what I'm, doing. I'm going to distance myself because I'm very uncomfortable with real life kind of stuff. Or here's the worst thing that I'm guilty of. I don't know when this became a culture. Here's what the, the finger will do. The finger will thank the toe for sharing that it's bleeding. What is that? I'm bleeding and I'm in pain. Thanks for letting me know that you're bleeding. And then you immediately forget what was shared because you don't really care. That's a malfunctioning body. Malfunctioning body. Now whether you resonate more with a person who has a hard time sharing, the person who has a hard time caring, I would argue our church, a lot of us, is both. The challenge this text gives as members of the body of Christ, not just any other body or club or fraternity, but the body who is supposed to be progressively intaking the DNA and character and love of Christ ahead, we need to recognize we need one another, not just in the hard times of life, but even in the joys of life. And according to this text, The lifeblood of the body of Christ is ultimately manifested in the love and the care the members have for one another. It's quite simple. Church is simple. It's not rocket science. That's all it is. So if you want a super simple way to remember the application, here it is. Pray that as a member of the body of Christ, God, help me just to do this. Help me to share in the sufferings and joys of the church community. That's it. Help me to share in the joys and sufferings of other members of the body. That's all I want to grow in. Because that's all this text is calling you to. Wrestle with that, digest it, chew on it, pray about it. Now to close though, if you're not a Christian sitting here today, you might think, sorry, sorry I'm talking about like feet talking and hand talking. right?" <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Or maybe you haven't been to church in a while, and I'm sure maybe some of you haven't. Please recognize the pastors of all people are the first to admit the church body often operates like a malfunctioning and unhealthy body. In fact, the members of the body, more often than not, as sad as it is, are often the reason so many people get turned off by the church to begin with. Isn't that true? It's so sad that the very entity, the body of Christ, the thing that's supposed to draw people, it turns people away. So 100% we admit that, we recognize that. But here's where the hope is not ultimately the perfection of the members, but the head of this imperfect body, thankfully, is Christ. Jesus himself is the one who brings us together like evelyn mercer adopts us unites us little by little to grow into what it means to look and act like him in the way we relate to one another and when we fail i hope you're comforted by the fact that jesus ultimately he's the gracious friend he listens he invites you to share your burdens with him he's the one who never fails to stop to bandage to heal your wounds He's the one who in one hand holds the universe and the other hand cares to know the most seemingly insignificant burden and pain you're experiencing. And so as cliche as it might sound for the Christian, it is so comforting to know that everyone might fail, but Jesus will never fail you. But church, Christian, please recognize often the way Jesus makes that experienced is through the members of the church. What a high privilege. But what a high calling. That the convincing love and care of Christ himself, our head, often rides or dies upon the faithfulness of his body, seeking to live it out. So consider these as I close. Um, And I want to lead us in just one prayer topic, if you don't mind. And I'll invite the praise team up right now. First question I would hope we can reflect on. Where has God placed you in the body now, if you're part of the church? And how has he gifted and wired you to love and serve the body? Please consider that. And secondly, who are just one or two people in the body that, you know, could just use some care? Are there anyone that you know, Spirit of God just convicts you and it's like, you know, this person is always the last pick type person. They're always, the the lines are always drawn around them. Who is someone that you can share the love of Christ with? Consider those things. Let's pray for those things. And then uh, I'll close for us. Let's pray together.